0: And we just get to bask in the goodness and in the glory of our Lord's resurrection life Which is really the basis of our life It is the source of our life If we can somehow connect to him who has been raised from the dead Even in this mortal existence We don't have our resurrection bodies yet But if we can connect to him and that same spirit who raised him from the dead Man, it's, life is good so we're living right here at the fountainhead of what life is about and how we can live in the goodness that Jesus brings to us. And um, we're beginning a new series, it's called Engaging with God for Growth. And in many ways, we're gonna hit some of the themes that we hit in our last series. Um, because really, the way that Jesus works with us um, isn't that different. I mean, he doesn't all of a sudden change things up. They're like, surprise, now it's totally different. Um, no, it's, it's this way that he has, which is a way of love, and he, he lived it, he talked about it, he was it, he did it, and he continues to bring us back to that, and even John is doing that for us, he's bringing us back to this way of life, and it's a resurrection way of life, and in the spirit we can live this way of life with each other. And it's to our disadvantage and our peril and our hurt if we don't live and learn how to live and continue to live in the resurrection way of life because this is the source of growth. That's why they compare it to the sun. And he is the sun of glory, the, the, the sun of righteousness is how it's put in the prophecies. And he is that light and light causes growth. You want to grow? Let's bask in this light. So we continue in that and we want to engage with that this morning. I think John is, he's writing to the church at a time when they need to know it badly. This is the latest gospel written and this story comes at the end of a gospel. It seems like it's already been done. Re- you know, John 20 seems like if you, 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 ra- you could wrap it up there and, it's, and he's like, there are many other stories we could tell, too many to fill a book, you know, but I'm saying this so that you believe and then comes this last story of a resurrection appearance. So he's, he's, He's tacking this on. But I think it's for a very important reason at the later date in the, in the life of the early church. And that's what I wanna get into. And I wanna express a little bit of the highlights of how we live in the resurrection light. And how do we engage with God for growth? Some of the things that I hope that we'll continue to experience. And I wanna say, first of all, that it's, it's very down to earth. It's full of resurrection life, but it is down to earth. And it's meant for us and our mortal bodies it's meant for us in our relationships. Um, this week I was you know, praying about the, the sermon coming up and praying about the new series, and I just kept on coming back to this one memory of my mom growing up. And it's a, an iconic memory, and it, it probably has become attached to all kinds of other sort of icons in, in, um, in mythology and literature, and uh, it's just this picture of my mom standing at this little white stove that we had in our house in new york and um and uh i'm i'm coming into the kitchen and she's working on some kind of a sauce and uh and she's she's like stirring it and putting spices in it and this is how she also made her famous spaghetti sauce which was uh, just the best in the world. And we still have that recipe, and I still think it's the best in the world. But she would be stirring it with this wooden spoon, and she said, come here, honey. Do you want to taste it? Oh, I don't think so, Mom. No, really, you should taste it. And and so she brings out the wooden spoon, and, um, you know, I blow on it because it's hot. And then I take a little bit of a sip, and i sit, "And like, wow, is that good? It's so good. That is really good. Isn't that good? And... Um, You know, why is it on a wooden spoon? Why is it that it's because it's a wooden spoon, partly, that it it tastes so good? Maybe it's the extra flavor from all of the sauces and the stews and the spaghetti that she's made over the years. Boy, did it, you know, and it just tastes so good, but it's partly good because she's there feeding it to me, and like she's feeding my heart, and she really cares to give it to me and share it with me and to uh, take a moment, and you know, and she's just been laboring there. In the kitchen for a while, and I've been off doing my own thing, and she would do that so often, you know, in her hidden way, laboring in the kitchen, and, you know, like Leif and I'd be out playing basketball. We'd play our, like, three hours of basketball after school, and then we'd come in, and we'd have two massive plates of spaghetti, especially on Thursdays, and then we'd go out and play a couple more hours of, which I have no idea how you can do that, of basketball after having two heaping piles of spaghetti but man we were just it was tasted so good and was so fortifying and i'm and I, why am i telling you this story because it, you know for me that that is like an expression of how do you grow well partly you're going to grow if you're going to eat that much <laughs> but you do grow when you're fed you do grow when you're loved and it's it's the it's the way that the lord has set it up for us And when we're, especially when we're at challenging times in life, we think we need to come up with a solution, we need to come up with a strategy, and we need to get back to, well, we need to figure this out. We need to get back to roots, we need to get back to, and some of that might be actually true. But when John is writing this gospel and it's at a certain point, uh, it's very likely that Peter has already been martyred, right? Because it's written quite late. And uh, at least the, 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 you know, the, the autographs that we have of some of those texts are quite late. I, I'm sure John had been telling his account of the gospel uh, in different ways throughout his career. But um, you know, he puts this in at the end, and I wonder if what's happening for the church is you know, at this stage, the church is being persecuted. And the church is probably wondering, what is going on? And we can't really make sense of it and we can't really figure out how to grow. And, um, and so John's idea here is to say, I'm gonna share one last story with you. This is a third appearance to the disciples. And I want you to really take hold of this because I think there's a secret in here that I don't want you ever to forget about how it is that we're supposed to live and how it is that we can actually grow. And so you have... John telling the story of the disciples back in Galilee where Jesus said he was gonna appear. Now, the other appearances to Jesus had been on Sundays and they'd been close enough to the feasts that they're still in Jerusalem, right? And um, at this point, they're in Galilee, which is sort of their hometown, and Jesus said, go there, I'm gonna meet you there too. But today, this resurrection story isn't on a Sunday and it's not on a feast day. And um, so they do what they always do. And they, they get in, and um, Peter, being the man of action that he is, and rightfully so, he says, let's go fishing. And they say, let's go fishing. And they do it together. That's the first thing I noticed, by the way. As they do it together, um, I was with them with, um, yesterday, last night, with... Um, the founder of Christian Youth Theater. This is an organization that's national. It's now international. They have chapters even in Uganda and, and other places overseas. And it's, it's been a really God-blessed ministry. Um, that has brought so many people to the Lord and shining a light in a context, right? In a, in a theater context where a lot of times we're more aware of the darkness, especially if you pay much attention to Hollywood and what's coming out of it right now, right? So thank God that there are some lights shining into this context. So I, I hung out with the founder of CYT, He's visiting us from San Diego and the chapter here in Kenosha that Jeannie, my wife, started. And uh, it's, it's so much fun. I'll t- I might say a couple more things about him. But one of the, there's two things that stu- stood out to me. When I was talking with him, and when I was talking with the other leaders that he brought with him, and then we went to a couple different shows yesterday, one here in Kenosha and one in Lake County, and one of the first things that I remembered is, um, well, he, when he grew up, he was Baptist. And he said, I never knew all of these cultural references that all of us in feeder tend to know right now. It's because we were always at church. We lived at church, basically. And that was our community. And we were always together with church. I didn't even know, um, a lot of you young folks don't know who Ed Sullivan is, but I didn't even know who Ed Sullivan was. And everybody in the country knew that. I didn't even know who the Beatles were when they showed up on Ed Sullivan, because where was I? I was at church on the Sunday night when they were there being introduced to the country. And it just kind of struck me that it, what he's speaking about is something that we've lost as a church. We are not together. We're just not together. And we're, maybe we get, if we're, if we're pretty good um, Christians, according to the, today's standards, which I think they've gotten kind of low, right? Because a regular attender, according to the stats, is somebody who comes half-time to a Sunday service, right? Well, Jesus is saying, I want you to be together, and John's calling this out, and he's pointing it out, and I'm noticing it because it is a contrast. They're still together, and it's not even a Sunday. They're together. And um, one of the reasons why the ministry that is CYT is so successful, the more I thought about it and I was talking to people who had different stories, I cannot tell you how many people yesterday alone, because I'm on the board, right? That's why I'm on the board of this organization. I had at least five um, parents come to me and say, this is the only thing that I can do with my entire family together and still be Christian. You know, I I can go off and do sports, Maybe there's some Christian sports organizations out there, but this is the only thing that my entire family can do together and be with other folks in fellowship. And I'm thinking, that's great. They're experiencing fellowship, being together. And I'm also thinking, but where's the church? I mean, the church church. I mean, that's part of the church too. And I'm not trying to create divisions here, but I am asking, how can we be together? Even during the week, how can we be together? I mean, you think about the deepest needs of our lives, they are really related to not being together. All right? So it's just the first thing I want to notice and say, man, maybe we should really think about being together a lot more. And as I go, you're going to see the way that we need to be together. It's not that, it's not that, like, shocking. It's not even that, like, revelatory, but it's, it's like real life. My mom always used to say that I'd run by her house when she finally moved to Illinois, and I'd just stop in, and we'd hang out for a while, and she'd say, this is like real life. Because she was just so excited to be able to have life together again because she came from New York. And how many times do we do that? You know, stop by somebody's house and hang out together and say, this is like real life. And we can relate to each other, and it's, it's simple, and it's beautiful, and it's good, and it's the way it's meant to be, right? We, we don't have nearness to one another that's the first thing and so um the disciples are actually together and then they go into their efforts and they work all night long they're laboring together and they're doing what they always do most of them seem to be fishermen I guess and uh what happens And you, you guys are not like my African, uh, you know, <laughs> friends. Am I speaking to anybody? <laughs> yeah, they don't catch anything. Like all that effort, that, all that labor, and nothing to show, show for it. I love that this chapter starts with failure. I love that. Because if there's one thing that you will often feel, especially if you're in a small church that remains a small church, and that, who's that like? Us sometimes you can look at that and say, okay, by the world's standards, we're small, and man, we haven't grown, and what have we got to show for it? And it's just like, you, you can do that to yourself. You can start to say, this is just an utter and complete failure, and I don't really believe that. I actually think that's a lie, right? But at the end of the, the night, you know, they're, they're laboring, and nothing's happening, and, and, you know, John, he's a person of symbol, And I'm thinking, um, this is what's coming to me. And I know John is intending it too. I mean, I feel like I've hung out with John long enough to get how he thinks a little bit. And he thinks very symbolically. And of course, Jesus introduced the symbol, first of all, that, hey, you guys want to catch fish, right? You're fishermen. That makes sense. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I think what John is saying by sharing this story right now is that the church at that time, it probably wasn't growing. And we're about growth right now. We're actually engaging in a season of growth and engaging with God for growth. And we're supposed to be growing and we're not growing. And it even seems like there's forces arrayed against us so that we can't grow. So what do you do? And I think what's going through the disciples' minds and all the people who are trying to follow Jesus and all the folks who are trying to remain faithful in the context of, of failure and the feelings of failure according to the world standard is that we need to have Peter again. I remember when Peter was here. That guy was dynamic. That guy, he knew how to do it. We need Peter back. We need the Petrine way. Peter was a rock. That's, in fact, that's why we call him Peter, because he's a rock, and we need him. And who do we have left over here? We have John, timid John, the least of the disciples, who's just apparently this quiet old man, apparently. He just talks a lot about love. By the way, he's really good at net mending. You remember, he's often portrayed as back mending nets when Peter's outcasting them, okay? But who do we have? And it just seems like how are we going to be okay and how are we going to be successful when we don't have Peter? And I think what John is saying is that we are in the same situation right now, and I mean us now too, is that Jesus' way is not going to be any different for us. And it's not that we're even doing anything wrong, and it's not that we're failing. It's simply what's going on. And by the world's standards, and our feelings sometimes of exhaustion, having labored all night and having nothing to show for it, we, we, we can get caught up in a feeling of failure. And that really is just dis- distressing and upsetting and disappointing. But what John is saying is it's pretty simple because Peter didn't change his strategy at all and in a single moment had this amazing catch. And... Um, I think what's interesting is the way it came about. The way that it comes about is, well, what's the first thing in, that happens after they get nothing and it's daybreak? What's the first thing? Jesus shouts a question to them. And um, he asks them a question. I think sometimes there is a question that's coming to us when we're in a situation like that. And it may indeed be that you're, you're being foolish and you're hitting your head against the wall repeatedly, and that sort of is the definition of insanity, I guess, and you're not doing things right, and maybe you actually need to learn to do something right, but I, I think often that's not the case. <laughs> often, Jesus is speaking to us in the midst of that, and it's kind of ridiculous that I have worked so hard, and there's nothing to show for it, and I'm an accomplished fisherman, And I'm surrounded with all of my fisherman buddies, and we used to know how to do this. And we go out at night, because that's when you catch the fish. And here it is daybreak, and it's probably not likely I can catch any fish anymore, for now. It's much harder. And there's this guy on the shore, and he asks a question, and I think that sometimes we hear, there is a voice from the Lord, it's a resurrection kind of story, but I think it's still the story that is true for us. Is it, have you caught anything? And I wanna say that that's humorous. I wanna say that that's actually funny. There's a guy on the shore saying, and he's looking at the size of these boats, he could probably see that they haven't caught anything. And um, have you caught anything, youngsters? Hey, young fellas, have you caught anything? Who is that guy on the shore? Why don't you try it on the other side? Okay, so it's the same net the same action, and they throw it on the other side, and they get this huge catch, and, and so they have not changed anything except for that they've started to respond to Jesus. They've started to, out of a conversation with Jesus, begin to move. Their action became part of a relationship at that moment, so everything that we see here, which is a blessing, I think, for the church, is, is because of the dialogue with Jesus, the one who knows where the fish are. It's not so much about strategy and getting really smart and trying to figure out how to catch the fish, and I think that's the same thing with the church right now, the same thing. I think we're, we're at a, a crisis moment, we see it in the Roman Catholic Church, we see it in the megachurches, and the thought might be we need to change our strategies, and, and I think there are flaws in all of those strategies. But um, I think it's actually really quite simple, is like, what is the Lord asking us? He's asking us a question, and if we listen to, if we're honest in our response, like, Lord, we don't have anything right now, but we do need, if we're honest in our response, he'll he'll tell us what to do, and in most cases, it's not going to be utterly different. It's like, I want you to continue to remember me the way I've commanded you to remember me come to table I want you to continue to fellowship together and don't neglect the fellowship as some people are in the habit of doing as, as Hebrew says it's not that different and I want us to say to ourselves as we come into this next season and we start these new groups like let's do that like let's be honest about the questions God's asking us if we feel like we've got nothing to show for our lives let's let God ask us the question what's going on and we need to say Lord we need you So what do we do and how do we make it through? And I think we can do this in our small groups, all right? So I think that that's the second thing is that Jesus engages us in a conversation when we let him ask us questions about our situation. Um, The next thing, okay, I guess I should take a quick look at my notes. The next thing that happens is that um, Peter comes to shore. I can't remember exactly where we ended with our gospel reading, but I want to get to the point where we're talking about his conversation with the Lord and how Peter, who's the guy who you might think is the solution, the dynamic leader, is actually flawed. He's been a failure. He has nothing to show for it yet. Pentecost, by the way, has not happened yet. And he has a problem. And one of the problems is that his own heart isn't reconciled to Jesus. He's actually really, truly failed the Lord when he wanted to be faithful, and that was his great desire. He even said, you know, all these others might leave you, but I won't. And I recently preached on that. So I'm not gonna go into the same kinds of details that we, we, um, we learned together a few, few months ago. But I wanna notice this beautiful way that the Lord uses these situations to draw us to him, And the ways in which we've actually failed him truly and he heals us what happens is that Jesus sets up the charcoal fire which is just like the charcoal fire that Peter denied him and Jesus told him as he was going to do it and I want you to remember that the Peter that you think will solve all your problems right now failing, struggling, small oppressed, persecuted confused church he was there and he knew that He lived it. He really did fail the Lord. And what Jesus does is in almost the exact same kind of a context in which Peter failed him. Again, context is the same. Like, they've been fishing, they still fish. He's gathered around a charcoal fire, just as he was when he denied the Lord, and Jesus comes into it and transforms that. Comes into a situation that is designed to provoke the worst possible feelings that Peter probably had in relation to the Lord. This is the third time the Lord has appeared to him. He's already received the breath of peace and forgiveness and been told you can forgive others too. He's already received so much, but there's something that very, very personal that had to happen for him. In the very context, in the most personal way for Peter, he needed to feel the Lord's forgiveness and he needed to know it. It's like, you really want to catch a lot of fish? And you really want to be a great disciple of a, and a leader as I have appointed you to be? Well, I need you to let me take care of you first in the very place of your own betrayals. And so Jesus very kindly and very gently sets up the perfect way for, Jesus, for Peter's three denials to be healed. He's already fed him and he's taking him through. It reminds me of there was a time when I was growing up when my mom, I came home every day and my mom had this way of engaging me with a conversation, wanting to know how my day, she was so good at asking questions. And um, it's a real blessing when somebody asks you questions. Oh, as we've been talking about with Jesus, she was great at asking questions. And I would Somehow, I'd I'd talk. I mean, most teenagers don't talk, but my mom had a gift of of being able to engage me in such a way that I wanted to dialogue with her. But I remember coming home one day, and mom, I don't know what was the matter with me, but I was in a really surly teenager mood, and I was a jerk. And I just didn't want to have anything to do with her. And I was nasty to her. And um, at a certain point, I said something so belligerent and so disrespectful. She said, okay, this is not like you. This is not this is not the way we're normally, we normally relate to each other. And so her thought was, and it was a brilliant stroke of motherly genius. She said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go and we're gonna start as if, the, the, from the beginning, I want you to go out the front door and I want you to knock on the front door and then come back in and then we'll redo this whole thing. She took me through this, this process. It was like the same exact context in which I had just been a jerk, and she took me through it and she said, See, you know, this is how we really are together, right? And I think one of the things that we need from each other and what the church needs is if it's going to be truly herself, if we are truly going to be ourselves, we need to create contexts in which the very things that hurt us the most actually become healed. And we can do that in relationship. The Things that are most difficult in our lives are our relationship. And the things that we need the most are our relationships. And so, man, if you're really together as much as I'm thinking we should be, these things will come up naturally. But can we be gracious the way Jesus is and allow for those contexts to be redeemed and let those feelings that might crop up and say, man, I'm really bad and I don't think you want to relate to me right now. Can we let our brothers and sisters help us come back and re-relate to them? You know, um, Peter himself struggled with thinking about how he was going to do and he failed. He thought he was going to do great and he failed. And he still can't quite get his head wrapped around the fact that, look, I just want you to engage with me. I just want you to relate to me. And there's even like he's looking back at John, this comes a little bit later in the passage, and he says, Well, what's going to happen about him? Because Jesus is telling him, You will die for me. You will die for me. He alludes to that near the end of this this chapter. And he says, I I don't want you to think about whether John remains and you go early. And I think also what John is saying, like I have to remain. (laughs) He's talking to himself. Peter got to go early but I have to remain and I think what he's saying to the entire church is I don't want you to think about how things were done in the past I don't want you to get stuck in your failure I don't want you to get stuck in your betrayals I don't want you to get stuck in the mentality that compares where you are to where you think you should be and I don't want you to compare yourselves to one another I just want you to relate to me I want you to relate to me and I want you to relate to one another and live life together that's real life isn't it good? It's beautiful. So my prayer for us is that you know, as we go into this next season and we share life together is that we do, we do a lot of charcoal fires. I mean, we are coming up to the season of barbecue, right? Like, let's take our small groups and let's be the church that we think we are, right? And I think we truly are. We're the light of Christ. We're reflecting his love, his hope, his healing, And all of this leads to wholeness if we are loving. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter and he's saying to each of us right now. And what John is saying to us, the failing, small, struggling churches, it's simple, I just want you to love one another. He says it to Peter three times, just take care, take care of one another, listen to one another, ask questions of one another, have fires together. Create context where you can walk somebody through the very place of pain, but into a place of healing. Be with each other. Can we do that as a church? Can we share life together? Can we be together more? Um, I think it's great that we have CYT and we have places where people are together and it is a truly immersive context. You've heard me use that. That's one of my favorite words lately. It's immersive They're living together, life together, and it's transformative, and people meet Jesus there. If you want to grow, we have to do it together with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.